0: Welcome to All About Art. My name is Alexandra and I'm an art historian, curator, and writer. Within this podcast, topics relating to art history, cultural policy, the art sector, as well as a large range of other art-related topics will be covered. Conducting critical discussions, having entertaining exchanges, or just enjoying some relaxing chats? All About Art is where you'll find it all. Join me in exploring and developing cultural discourse. Welcome to another episode of All About Art. In this episode, I speak to the fabulous London-based contemporary artist Libby Heaney. Libby has a first-class degree in physics from Imperial College London and a PhD in quantum information science from the University of Leeds. She spent five years working as a postdoctoral fellow at the University of Oxford and the National University of Singapore, leading her own research and publishing 20 papers on topics like quantum entanglement and quantum biology. In 2008, she won HSBC and the Institute of Physics, very early career Woman Physicist of the Year, and a prestigious EPSRC postdoctoral fellowship. However, as you will hear later in the episode, Libby retrained as an artist at Central Saint Martins, graduating in 2015, and now works at the intersection of advanced technologies, science, and art. She is widely recognized as a pioneer of quantum computing and art, receiving substantial international press for her artwork Ent, which is a work that we will discuss in depth later on in the episode. Thank you, Libby, for coming on the podcast. Before I dive in, I wanted to let you lovely listeners know that All About Art is on Patreon. So if you want some behind-the-scenes content, maybe a bit of merch the chance to get one-on-ones with me and my guests, or you're simply wanting to support this project, I would be absolutely thrilled if you decided to sign up. You can do so through the link in the show notes. I also wanted to say thank you to those who have already signed up. Your support means the world, and it makes the further production, improvement, and growth of the podcast possible. And for that, I'm incredibly grateful. And now... On to the interview. I'm here with Libby Heaney today in her studio in Somerset House. I'm surrounded by tests of slime sculptures, prints, as well as uh, we have a guest here, her dog Swayze, (laughs) which is really lovely. And uh, so thank you so much, Libby, for sitting down with me today. Thank you. I am going to start off with asking you about your background, because you did not originally embark on a career in the arts. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he can hear Swayze, he wants to be on the podcast. Aww. You started off in a completely different field. Yes. You hold a PhD in quantum information science from the University of Leeds. Yes, And now you also hold an MA in art and science from Central Saint Martins in London. I would love to hear more about that and how you decided to go from being a quantum physicist to using quantum physics within your work as an artist. So it was always going to be that
1: way, um, so if, you've, if you'd if you known me since I was younger it was really clear that I would always try to move across to the arts I think when I was young at school I had quite in my teen years I had quite a difficult time at home so I was looking at ways of escaping always so I'd spend most of my time say in the art rooms after school staying as late as I could so I didn't have to go home I also read a lot because there's a lot of escapism in, in reading but I ended up doing physics instead of art at university because I come from a working class background and everyone teachers people were like I don't necessarily believe this but get a proper job you'll make more money doing something else yeah Yeah. you hear it a lot in the
0: arts don't you yeah 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 it's kind of like a, a pet peeve of mine when I Talk to people, and not a pet peeve, but like it's almost like this phenomenon that everyone has experienced that when they decide to go into the arts, be it in art history or um, as an artist, I feel like unless you come from a family that has worked in the arts, like if you have family members or people that have had successful careers in the arts, you you hear that statement all the time. Yeah, 100%. I've heard it on your podcast before. Yeah. Yeah, exactly, exactly. exactly. Yeah. A lot of people do say that. It's very true.
1: And yeah, so I did I did follow that advice and go and do a physics undergraduate degree and I think One of the reasons why I got into quantum physics, which is kind of a theory that describes a microscopic world, that's very strange, you need a lot of imagination to kind of understand it, is because it was also a way of escape, it was kind of escapist as well. You're like entering this reality in your mind, in your imagination, that is so beyond what we experience every day. So at that time I like moved to London and was also, maybe partying a lot and the quantum physics and the partying kind of felt like it they fit it together. <laughs>
0: I love that. Well.
1: <laughs> it was the naughties what can I say um, but then all through that period as a scientist I was saving money because I after I completed my PhD I actually did five years of postdoc which is kind of in between like a permanent position at a university and and, and the PhD studies so it's sort of short-term contracts where you're producing research and sort of getting your name out there it's kind of like being an artist I suppose yeah but um I was saving money all the time to go back to art school what really helped was moving to Singapore for a few years because the tax there is quite low <laughs> so I was able to like squirrel away more more cash than I would have done if I was in the UK or Europe wow so as soon as as soon as I had in um, enough savings I was like right that's it it's time to go back to art school. Yeah, And then now, obviously, I weave it all together in, in different ways, yeah.
0: And so was that when you went and did your MA in art and science at, at CSM?
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, who's also an amazing artist, so shout out to Claire Zakovic. Um, <laughs> she said, "Why you don't need to go back and do a BA, you should do an MA. And I, that was the first time it dawned on me. And MAs are cheaper, shorter. Yeah. And also I found my art and science one, and I was like, wow, well, that seems really up my street for some reason, Yeah. so yeah, it made sense. And also it was in London, so I felt
0: like really happy to come back here. Yeah, CSM is a really phenomenal school, so that's a really amazing thing. I feel like there is one big project that you've been working on, and from that, so many branches of your practice have emerged, so tell me about ENT. What is it, and what are the themes that you explore with it? End is
1: an immersive installation that was commissioned by Light Art Space earlier this year. It was exhibited in Berlin at Stiftung, and it's a 360 projection. So if you imagine a big box that people can go into, the walls and the floor are projected on. And um, it deals with the futures of quantum computing. Now, quantum computing is a really powerful new computer that big tech and governments are Currently working to develop. It's based on the con- counterintuitive laws of quantum physics. So what happens really is that instead of like processing information in a binary way, quantum computers process information in a non-binary way, mm-hmm. um, and using something called quantum entanglement, which I'm very interested in. So End um, not only uses quantum computing as a medium. So I wrote my own code since 2019 to work with quantum computing and develop a unique aesthetic. I think I was probably the first person in the world to do that, or if not the first, one of the first.
0: I think that's important to say because I'm a woman in tech. But coming from an arts background, this for me is such an incredibly complex theme. And then bringing these two things together, like looking at it from an artistic point of view, but then bringing in all of this knowledge and being a woman in tech, and being a woman in the arts, like you're just fighting battles left and right in that sense and doing it amazingly. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. I've <laughs> got my boxing gloves on. Yeah. <laughs>
1: but um, yeah, I guess I get, I mean, I'm really lucky that I have the training. You know, I spent a long time understanding quantum physics, understanding. A phenomena called entanglement which I've used throughout my work where two or more entities sort of lose their own individuality and blur and dance together in this sort of strong symbiosis and so to be able to use it in my artwork now feels like the right you know the right thing to be doing for yeah. myself I mean the word "ent" is waiting to be finished it talks about Things like entanglement, or in German, ent is a prefix. That means the start of an action or a separation. Mm -hmm. I know you speak German, so I appreciate that. (laughs) But, um, yeah, so it's talking about, the work is talking about the futures of quantum computers, because when quantum computers are fully developed, they're going to be able to solve certain problems that no digital computer Ever could. So, even if you imagined a digital computer as big as the planet, it would never solve some of the problems that quantum computers would solve. And this is why there's almost like a quantum arms race. Governments and tech companies are racing to be the first to develop the first full scale quantum computer. So, ENT kind of situates itself between heaven and hell, um, drawing on a very famous artwork, Bosch's Garden of Earthly Delights, to give audiences something to like hold on to while I'm discussing these perhaps more complicated ideas from quantum physics. Yeah. I like to make sure there's some sort of access points in my work, because I don't necessarily want to alienate anyone. It's not my, you know, I think ideas from quantum physics can be quite counterintuitive.
0: Yeah. I mean, I can only agree, because I think that you and I have spoken a lot about it, and I've looked into your work, and I'm still very much like trying to wrap my head around quantum physics and I feel like your performance for example the one that at the Zabludowicz collection yes and your involvement in slime as a metaphor for example has very much helped me understand that in a deeper way and we will talk about slime as a metaphor a bit later on in the episode however I just want to ask you about a professional thing that's coming up you are a part of a group show with the Calder Foundation and NAMAD Contemporary in New York I am which is incredibly exciting so I wanted to ask you how did this opportunity come about And I ask this for artists who are listening in, who may be curious about obtaining this sort of amazing opportunity.
1: In some sense, it was partly luck, which I know will probably (laughs) annoy (laughs) listeners. Um, But I think because the curator, Kelly Taxter, I didn't know her previously. And she was researching some of the themes in Calder's work. Um, I didn't realize it, but Calder was very interested in quantum physics. The invisible the invisible movement of things. Really? And the negative spaces in his mobiles oh. connect a lot to quantum physics. So Kelly, as she was researching with the Calder Foundation, saw lots of themes in Calder's work that are now being addressed in a different way with technology by contemporary artists like myself. So she with that in mind she found my work ent on the light art space website my website has been down for a few months <laughs> but luckily other organizations have very good documentation of what i've been up to recently good then i won't link your website in the show notes yeah. i'll link <laughs> i'm waiting for it to go back <laughs> off where i'm working very very hard with um, two wonderful people to get it back up man websites off. are rough not gonna lie oh, it's hard my last one <laughs> broke and i cried <laughs> literally oh. crashed a <laughs> drama oh. <laughs> um, but yeah so and then um I guess like the studio visit with Kelly was online so I just made sure I had a really nice documentation of end to show her and played for video event in the background while we were talking so she could kind of just sort of see it and feel it as we were talking about general themes and so on. I think that was for me that was a really nice
0: conversation mm-hmm. so yeah okay, amazing. so what are you showing in New York? versus what you've shown at other exhibitions that you've had this year, such as with uh, Arbite Gallery or Fiamano Clace? So for New York, because it's a group show, there's some of Calder's works, and then
1: we're all digital artists, so we didn't have the space within the gallery to show enters as a full immersive projection. Yeah. So after lots of conversations, we decided to remake the work as a playable game. It's not so much a game like as a challenge to go and complete, it's more like, Audience members are invited to play through the world rather than seeing it kind of from one perspective in the immersive experience. They can really like move in, into different locations, um, and each trajectory through the world, each time someone plays it, is like a different parallel version of that reality. So it fits really nicely with quantum physics, where there's like a version of quantum physics where all possibilities, all possible universes exist over each other at the same time. Yeah. Um, So this is like allowing people to kind of experience the materiality of this world on their own
0: terms, which I think is really
1: nice, yeah.
0: I'd like to kind of come back to how slime factors into your work, but uh, one of my questions as well is about how the way in which politics and our use of technology affects your work. And because we were kind of on that topic now, Um, I'm not sure which one you want to answer first, but I want to segue into one of those and we can chat about these metaphors, basically. We can entangle them together. Yes, why don't we entangle?
1: (laughs) I love it. Um, Okay, so I guess what tech companies and governments are trying to do is use quantum technology, quantum computers and other technology based on quantum physics in a way that sort of supports patriarchal capitalism in an extractive and probably when it's fully developed exploitative manner. So my work in some instance critiques that but it also tries to unflatten that because that's a very linear way of using the technology which is kind of ironic given the technology is non-binary and shape-shifting and queer at heart. So, So my work I hope does two things. It tries to critique that flattening, that kind of the dominant use of the technology being for profit, but at the same time sort of propose an alternative, one where there's sort of entanglements, not in like this we're all connected, hippie-type way, but in a more meaningful way, but using entanglement to think through ideas around, say, non-local responsibility, where our actions in the world don't just affect things connected to us here and now, But they can propagate throughout space and time in ways that are more chaotic. And if you work through ideas around entanglement, it it leads to this. Authors like Kevin Barad talk about it very well, much better than I could speak about it. Humans are so visual. And so by using quantum computing to visualize these entanglements and to bring them to life, and to think about bodies that are like non-bounded and formless and shape-shifting as opposed to rigid and categorised. I think it allows people to start to feel these ideas as well. And scientists would never use, or as, so far, would never use quantum computers in this way, um, because they're just trying to solve these quite boring, but important to them problems. And so what I've been doing, and this takes us to the slime, is to use, since, well, since the Arbyte show that was in, I think it opened in May, And then the performance Slime Core with a Q. And then more recently in my show Remixing Still at Fiamano Clays. I've been using slime as a metaphor for the slippery fluid world of quantum physics. So particles that are quantum, so like atoms, molecules like atoms. The size of an atom is maybe... 1,000 times thinner than the width of our hair. So we're going really, really small. But when you go that small, individual particles can kind of become fluid and they start to become wave like, kind of like slime. You know, like the slime kids make in the ASMR videos. Yes, which
0: you had us play with (laughs) when you did a performance at the Zabludovic collection. It was absolutely phenomenal, but everyone was squishing this slime and mixing it with the slime of our neighbour. and Entangling. And entangling, and we were playing with it. And for anyone who would like some context, Libby recited this. Would I call it a poem? Yes, I suppose
1: so. I don't consider myself to be a poet. Mm. So I would see it as like a stream of consciousness slash some rhyme, rhyming text yeah. slash Essay, but I suppose that's a problem. Yeah,
0: because it? It, it was it was quite long as well, mm-hmm. but it was phenomenal. It was this mixture of written word, but then also a bit of yes, rhyming text and having that sort of rhythm. But then you paused and instructed the audience to do things like play with their slime, squish the slime, connect the slime to the, those of their neighbors, and so it was very much like an interactive performance. I'd say.
1: And there was, just to say, there was an immersive video there Ah, behind it as well with CGI slime. (laughs) So um, it really encased the room in slime in different ways. But I think touch is really important because we learn in different ways. Mm -hmm. So we learn visually um, through language but I think, I think to move beyond language um, and to experience something in an embodied way is so important. Like my, one of my favorite artists is Lore Provost.
0: My most recent episode was with Sophie Lambert because they just had Lore Provost's a booth at free, like works at their booth at freeze, the listen gallery. I know, I saw
1: it. I put my I poked my arm through the board and tickled with those yeah. gloves. I did ask for permission to do that. <laughs> yeah.
0: I mean she said she said uh, in the podcast episode, Sophie said yes, everyone can put their hand through the glove. And I was like, Oh my god. <laughs>
1: I I was so happy to I love Laura's work and she she deals with quite complex topics as well, but in yeah. such a playful light manner. I mean it's such an inspirational for me and i think um you know obviously i don't think she works with slime but this idea of like using something that's quite playful and tactile and talk about these way more complicated or political or social issues I think yeah. is really an interesting approach well I love seeing her work I can only aspire to be, be like Laura. <laughs> but you know it's, it's interesting to as an artist that works primarily with digital tools yeah um, it's, it's interesting to think about how you can like move away from just screen based and bring other, other modes and media into your work.
0: Absolutely and I think that you've done that in such an interesting way especially after seeing your exhibition at Fiamano Place with the prints that you did or I can't even call them prints because they're not would you can you describe them the ones on the aluminum aluminum yes yeah,
1: so yeah. they, I guess they have an object
0: quality to them yeah they're not just prints
1: they're um I call them corrupted advertisements for this fictional company called QX that I like to work through, which is another access point into my work through a fictitious company that's all about quantum experiences and they're a bit slimy because...
0: Yeah, it's a bit... It's almost a bit like creepy when you see some of the works that you've produced that are on behalf of QX and they're very... Like the video that was at Arbyte as well and there were always these glitches, these dark little pieces coming in that kind of show you what's actually might, or what might be behind the scenes, hinting them to that kind of darker, darker aspect, side. yeah.
1: Yeah, exactly. Or they could, the glitches could be a potential trying to break free. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I, I don't want to pin it down too much. They're something quite visceral and they have a feeling mm. that is erupting out. And, and so for Fiumano Place, it was a challenge for me to take the video works that I'd been making and make something... 2d wall hung which was hard because you've got lost all the time in a moving image work you've got space whereas on a 2d work it's like how do you find the space to talk about the themes you want in an image and i realized i found the space through the materiality of the work so you have this gold colored aluminium that is kind of shining through the entire piece because i've glitched The print itself and ripped it away using quantum computing code so it looks very digital but it also has a material quality to it there's like these etched lines all through the print and therefore you can see the gold mirror shining through so you can see yourself in the work so the work is entangling to you to your interpretation but also to the environment so it's kind of still manifesting this idea of entanglement but in a very different way to a moving image work yeah and then the the image in the piece is like slimy quantum computer yeah so it's questioning has QX appropriated slime as a way of marketing quantum computers or maybe I've corrupted the prints I don't know what I've done (laughs) I like to lose control of what my intended meaning is and to confuse it and then keep it as open as possible Yeah. yeah
0: I think that's important And I absolutely love, and I'm just going to talk about it because I'm just in love with them, but the slime sculptures now as well. If you'd like to talk very briefly about the production of those.
1: Yeah, it was really great. I went uh, back to, I'm from the Midlands, so I went back to the Midlands uh, to Stourbridge and worked with a wonderful glass artist called Elliot Walker, who, if you've seen Blown Away on Netflix, He's in season two. <laughs> I hadn't seen it before I met him, but now I've, I've watched him uh, actually win the series, so high-five for that. <laughs> but um, it was really great, because we, we spent two days in the hot shop. Really sort of... I did lots of sketches and showed him some of my digital renders. And the first day was experimenting with the smaller slimes, their hard-sculpted glass, like sort of a toxic, transparent green... A dark purple that might look a bit like oil as well in a certain light. Um, clear, which is beautiful because it holds, holds the light, traps the light so well. In fact, all of them trap the light really well. And, and a gold color. And, and we were just like working on the different forms so they drip off the edge of the, the, the table or drip onto the floor or over the door, um, I think that's it. But they, I really realized in hot shop that the process of working with glass is like the, almost a mirror opposite of what scientists are doing to try and create a quantum computer. To create a quantum computer, you have to kind of cool matter down close to absolute zero. So that's minus 273 degrees, bloody cold. And even deep outer space is warmer than that. So. Like, these quantum computers are actually colder than outer space, which is quite poetic. And then matter starts to behave like fluid, like molten glass. So individual atoms sort of stretch out in space and time, like slime. And um, and then, but glass, of course, you're heating it up. So you're heating up many, many glass atoms to 1,200 degrees. And then the glass behaves molten and fluid you know i knew i wanted to work with glass because of its like properties of refraction and diffraction and how it holds light and splits light into a plurality of colors uh, like on the pink floyd album cover but yeah when i was in the hot shop and i really witnessed witnessed uh, elliot and nate working with the glass i realized the parallels it has with quantum physics as well so i think it's something i really want to continue to do work with glass so hopefully people will be seeing more of that in the future
0: that's so incredibly exciting, and I absolutely love it. And I also know that the titles are quite special of these works. Can you divulge a bit of that information?
1: Yeah, I want really again, I wanted the titles to be quite playful, and they came out of a text that I wrote for Slimecore Performance. So, examples are Jekyll and Slime, Better Look Next Slime, Slime Flies When You're Having Fun. So, it really relates slime to. notion of hybridity which is runs all throughout my work and um, kind of slime in the body, slime in nature which I think connects ideas from quantum physics to different territories which is really important in my work as well.
0: I love that and I'm also kind of remembering that some of those lines did come into that performance that you did. Yes exactly Yeah. yeah. Oh I love it. I love it. I'm going to ask you my penultimate question. Okay. And that is, what is a piece of advice that you would give somebody thinking about switching sectors and becoming an artist? Because, you know, we talked about in the very beginning how everyone almost discourages people from coming into the arts because, oh, you know, it's not a proper job if you if you're an artist or if you work in the arts or how can you make money if anyone is listening who might be currently in a more scientific field or I mean gosh if you're a lawyer or a banker or whatever and you're thinking about coming into the arts what's a piece of advice that you would give them?
1: Yeah well I think if it was a lawyer or a banker they would have enough cash just to set up their own gallery and (laughs) no I had to get that one in but um if I mean I think it's really great to have all voices in the arts um you know so if people wanted to switch fields I think it is really interesting having people with different backgrounds making work so for me it was like It depends. I would recommend people to go back to art school, but you don't necessarily need to go and do a bachelor's. You can do a master's. Because I think that sets you up in... Because the language between, say, the sciences and art, the way you communicate what you do and talk to people, is so different. It took me years to get used to speaking the new language, really. Because yeah. speaking art speak, basically. Yeah, yeah. We work with a level of concept. So for a scientist, it feels so vague. But once you real, once you read enough, spoke to enough people, saw enough work, you realize, like, these words have a lot of meaning to them. But before you've kind of jumped in with both feet, it seems like, what does this mean? And is its is it, what is it? Yeah. So I think art school is good and you, you'll have your degree show. So yeah that's always a good way to make connections and then I think it's it's kind of handy if you've got something that you did previously because for me for years a few years I worked doing kind of physics and maths tutoring for high school kids to make a bit of extra cash. I also worked at the RCA for a little bit as a teacher because they're interested in interdisciplinary practices. So I think you've, you leverage what you did before and use that to kind of support yourself or to get you into interesting places because having that unique background can be really special, yeah. And yeah. then of course, just make loads of
0: work and connect. Over usual advice to any artist. Yeah, go to shows, try and meet people, see a lot, try and produce a lot, and just kind of... Keep going, don't give up. Yeah. (laughs) Finally, a Mm. fun question Mm. to end the episode. Mm. If you could pick one artist from art history to have dinner with, who would it be and why? Well, when you sent for questions
1: (laughs) through earlier, I was like, I'm not choosing one, I'm choosing two. <laughs> and I think that's quite apt Go because we've it. been talking about non-binary and multiplicities. So yeah, I think it would be... So one of my favourite artists is Louise mm-hmm. Um I remember seeing her retrospective at the Tate, I think, in 2007. So ages ago now. And um, I just I was still working as a scientist at the time and I was just, like, crying afterwards. It moved me so much. And I remember seeing a video of her after you'd finished seeing the main show, but it was kind of on the sort of, near the cafe outside. And she was so fierce and so passionate about the work kind of meaning to something to you personally. And I think as a scientist, that was something that I really had to learn to like express me rather than trying to take myself out of stuff. So she would be super interesting. And I'd love to pair her with Leonardo da Vinci. <laughs> because he's for me he's like a renaissance polymath so obviously he's got that straddling art and science like myself yeah I'm not trying to say I'm
0: <laughs> like him <laughs> but you know like it's interesting the I da mean- vinci of our generation Shh. Libby Heaney oh, don't don't
1: <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> but um but I just feel like he is almost the opposite of Louise Bourgeois, but yet still kind of would be interesting for me to talk to him. But putting them both together at dinner, I just think would be so hilarious. Oh. And I'm so wonder what she would say about putting yourself in the work and in his like science and stuff like this. Yeah, yeah. Oh.
0: <laughs> I absolutely love that answer. Thank you so much. And. Um, That concludes all of my questions. So, Livy, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. And that is it for today on All About Art. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave me a rating or a review as it helps more people discover the show. Also, feel free to share with your friends or if you share on social media, tag me and get in touch. Thank you so much for listening.